We meet today to discuss about the introduction to Paul's epistle to the Philippians. We are not yet to look into the details of every verse, but simply introducing this letter. The epistle of Paul to the Philippians is one of the prison epistles. Paul wrote four epistles when he was in prison, and we have labeled them prison epistles. They are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the little epistle to Philemon. The epistle of Paul to the Philippians was written to the believers in Europe in the city of Philippi. This letter came out of a wonderful relationship that Paul had with the Philippian church. It seems that this church was closer to Paul than was any other church. Their love for him and his love for them are mirrored actually in this epistle. This epistle deals with the Christian experience at the level on which all believers should be living. It is not a level on which all of us are presently, but it is where God wants us to be. And it is good for us to anticipate hearing God's word and learning from it so that we move to that level. By the way, Paul visited Philippi on his second missionary journey. You will recall that he had Barnabas went on their first you will recall that he and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey to the Galatian country. And there they had a wonderful ministry and they founded many churches in spite of the persecution they encountered. Paul wanted to visit these churches on his second missionary journey. And in the process, he wanted to take Barnabas with him again. But Barnabas insisted on taking his nephew, John Mark who had been with them at the beginning of the first missionary journey. This young fellow, John Mark, you may remember that he turned chicken and ran home to Mama when they had landed on the coast of Asia Minor. He left them. He deserted them. He was afraid to continue. In fact, he was not made for that kind of work at that time. Maybe he had not matured to be able to tackle the work that was before them. Therefore, Paul did not want to take him the second time. So this split the team of Barnabas and Paul. Paul took John Mark and went in another direction. Paul with Silas for a companion retraced his steps into the Galatian country, visiting the churches which were there and they had established on the first missionary journey. Now, it would seem that Paul intended to widen his circle of missionary activity in that area because a great population was there and it was highly civilized. Actually, Greek culture and Greek, and Greek learning were centered there at this particular time. Dr. Luke, in his recording, it says that Paul attempted to go south into Asia, meaning the province of Asia, of which Ephesus was the leading city. But when he attempted to go south, the Spirit of God put a roadblock. Since he wasn't to go south, Paul thought he would go north where Turkey is today. But when they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Acts 16 verse 7. 
Now he can't go south, he can't go north. He has come from the east. There is but one direction to go now. So Paul went west as far as Troas. That was the end of the line. To go west of Troas, he would have to go by boat now. So Paul was waiting for instructions from God at Troas. Now, sometimes we feel that God must lead us immediately, but God can let us wait. I think he lets us cool our heels many times, waiting for him to lead us. If you are one who is fretting today, oh, what shall I do? Which way shall I turn? Wait, just wait. If you are really walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, he will lead you in his own good time. And Paul had to learn there. So what did they do? They continued to wait there in the city of Troas. We know it as Troy. He was waiting for orders and he finally got them. He was given the vision of a man of Macedonia. And that story is recorded in Acts 16 verse 9 and 10. Here is what the living word says. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, Paul and his companions boarded a ship that took them to the continent of Europe. And indeed, this is the greatest crossing that ever has taken place because it took the gospel to Europe. I thank God today that the gospel went in that direction because somewhere down the lines, some of those who heard the word of God responded to it and now has handed down to the world a high type of civilization which has also permeated the whole world. You know it is also because the gospel reached Europe. Whatever we now call the Renaissance, whatever we call the Reformation, whatever we call the New Learning, all of these things came because they had received the gospel. Protestantism then began there, and now we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel has been taken all over the place. Great missionary activities began in Europe. And as a result, the whole world has had the gospel. So Paul crossed over into Europe, and his first stop was at Philippi. Acts chapter 16 verse 13 to verse 15 tells us, And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of pepper from the city of Tiatra who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Paul, you see, found out that the man of Macedonia was a woman by the name of Lydia, holding a prayer meeting down by the riverside. That prayer meeting probably had a lot to do with the bringing of Paul to Europe. 
And I'm of the opinion that there were many people in Philippi who saw that group of women down there by the river praying and they thought it wasn't very important. But it just happened to be responsible for the greatest crossing that ever took place. And Lydia was the first convert in Europe. Now, Lydia was a member of the Philippian church to which Paul wrote this epistle. We know something about some of the other members of this church also. There was a girl who was delivered from demon possession. Reading from Acts 16 verse 16 to verse 18, it says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. So that girl was also a member of the Philippian church. Also the Philippian jailer and his family were members of this church. You will recall that Paul and Silas, were thrown into jail at the instigation of the masters of the demon-possessed girl who had been deprived of their income. God intervened for Paul and Silas in such a miraculous way that their jailer came to know Christ. And we read, And he brought them out and said, Says, What must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now when he had brought them back into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. This record comes from Acts 16, verse 30, 31, and 31 and 34. There were, of course, other members of this Philippian church whose stories we do not know. They were a people very close to Paul's heart. They followed him in his journeys and ministered to him time and time again. But when Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, they lost sight of him for two years. They did not know where he was. Finally, they heard that he was in Rome in prison. The hearts of these people went out to him and immediately they dispatched their pastor, Epaphroditus, with a gift that would minister to Paul's needs. You see, he was so dear to them, and they were so dear to him. So Paul wrote this letter to thank the church and to express his love for the Philippian church. He had no doctrine to correct as he did in the epistle to the Galatians. Neither did he have to correct their conduct as he did in his epistle to the Corinthians. There was only one small ripple in the fellowship of the church between two women, Eudia and Syntek, and Paul gave them a word of admonishment near the end of the letter. He didn't seem to treat the matter as being too serious. So, his letter to the Philippian believers is the great epistle of Christian experience. This is Paul's subject in his epistle 
to the Philippians. Now, so the theme of the book of Philippians is rejoicing in the Lord. So the keynote there is joy. The word joy, which is the Greek chara, is found five times in this epistle. And the verb to rejoice, chairein, occurs eleven times. Similarly, the phrases in Christ and in the Lord occur frequently in Philippians, by the way. Paul's immediate purpose is to assure the Philippian church of his appreciation for their lives and for the kindness demonstrated in their recent gifts. His appreciation is mentioned three times. Paul tells also of his own situation in Rome, and he expounds upon his comfort in Christ. Now here is Dr. McGee's suggested outline for this epistle. Dr. McGee divides the epistle into four wonderful sections. The first section is the philosophy of Christian living in chapter 1, then the pattern for Christian living in chapter 2, then the prize for Christian living in chapter 3, the power for Christian living in chapter 4. But I would like to now look into the details of each section, the details surrounding the philosophy of Christian living in chapter 1, according to Paul's letter here, is the introduction is given in chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 2. Then Paul talks of his tender feelings for the Philippians in chapters 1, verse 3 to verse 11. He then talks of the bones and of afflictions which have feathered the gospel instead of curtailing it in chapter 1, verses 12 to verse 20. And then finally, in this section, Paul talks of life and death. And so, in life or death, the main object is Christ, verse 21 to verse 30 of chapter 1. Chapter 2 gives the pattern for Christian living. What are the details surrounding it? First of all, we look at others, verses 1 to verse 4. The mind of Christ, that of humility, verse 5 to verse 8. Then the mind of God, talking of the exaltation of Christ, verse 9 to verse 11. The mind of Paul, the things of Christ, verses 12 to verse 18. The mind of Timothy, to be like-minded with Paul, verse 19 to verse 24. Then the mind of Epaphroditus, the work of Christ, verse 25 to verse 30. Chapter 3 talks of the prize for Christian living, and there are three details of this chapter. Paul changed his bookkeeping system of the past, verse 1 to verse 9. Then Paul changed his purpose for the present, verse 10 to verse 19. Paul changed his hope for the future, verse 20 to verse 21. Chapter 4 talks of the power for Christian living. And the details of this section are four. The first one is joy, the source of the power. Verse 1 to verse 4. Prayer, the secret of the power. Verse 5 to verse 7. Contemplation of Christ, the sanctuary of power. Verse 8 to verse 9. In Christ, 
the satisfaction of power. Verse 10 to verse 23. Now, some of the most powerful writings in history have been penned by leaders imprisoned for political reasons, something about the confinement, uncertainty, and often mistreatment that these prisoners have suffered seems to have helped them focus their minds on their fundamental convictions. But whereas many imprisoned authors take a martyr's posture and rail against whatever system is oppressing them, Paul sounded a radically different note, a completely different not in his prison epistle to the Philippians. He focused on the Christ-centered life, the hallmark of which is joy, a remarkable theme, considering that he may have been facing execution there, most likely in Rome, yet he was full of joy. Can Paul's message have any relevance to believers today who live in a free society without threat of imprisonment or death for practicing their religion. But can this also be relevant message to those believers who are living in situations where they are imprisoned and persecuted for their faith? What message do you convey? Are you Christ-centered? Do you have the joy of the Lord as your strength? Even if it means that you are facing execution the next day. He rejoiced in the Lord. And he admonished the other believers who were concerned about him to rejoice with him. Yes, by showing what ultimately matters, you can rejoice in Christ. In the midst of freedom, in the midst of affluence and opportunity, it's so easy, by the way, to lose perspective. It's so easy to pay more attention to peripheral things that, while attractive, really have little value rather than substantial things that have great value, that have great value and are of a, a priceless worth. You see, the ultimate value is Christ, whether elevated to heights of glory or like Paul, reduced to prisoner status. We need to center our lives on Christ Jesus. Whatever happens, we need to hold on to him he alone must be our ultimate source of contentment, joy, and life. Is he your ultimate source of contentment? We sing the song, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And indeed, in this world that is uncertain, what do you do? You must focus on that which is certain. Money is not certain. Friendships are not certain. Relationships with human beings are not certain. Those people who may be dear to you today may turn around tomorrow and put their back on you. But God will never turn his back on you. He is certain. He is solid. He is trustworthy. He is unshakable. He remains faithful to his word. And that is the secret that Paul learned when he was in prison. There he is chained. There he seems to have no hope. When he read the word around him, his climate did not promise anything to come. But he said, I will blossom where I am planted. 
He turned his obstacles into opportunities. He turned his lemons, so to say, into lemonade. Why? He preached the gospel to the guards. He took every opportunity of everyone who was watching over him, and he preached. And he was rejoicing that God had even counted him worthy to do such a work. What message does he give to the Philippians? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. That message is still true for you and me, my friend. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs, so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.